Hello, welcome to the LifeBridge podcast. We exist to practice the way of Jesus, participating in God's kingdom coming in Dover as it is in heaven. My name is Tyler Saldana and I'm the pastor of our church community. We are so grateful that you're checking out our church's podcast. We pray that the Spirit uses this podcast to encourage you in your following of Jesus. I uh, got a text last night from Tyler, and Tyler's like, oh, I'm not feeling the best. Maybe I shouldn't come. Would you preach? Devotion, anything. It's like, sure. And uh, if I ever get caught like that, this is a, a chapter I always turn to. I love, uh, this is one of my favorite chapters, is First John chapter 3. Um, uh, there's some really warm, cozy, cozy parts of the scripture, but there's also some really difficult um, convicting uh, parts of the scripture as well. So uh, I want to work on that and just walk through the scripture this morning with you. Uh, starting at 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who, brought, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal residence in him. This is how we know what love is. 
Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anybody has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with word or speech, but with action and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him whatever we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. before you. Just with that last verse, Lord, we want to come in submission to your Holy Spirit. I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would move in us. Teach us, Lord, today what you want us to hear. Lord, may my words be your words, and may your words be my words this morning as I preach. Thank you again, Father, for your presence. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for loving us to a point that you came and dwelled with us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start with this uh, chapter, and I'm going to actually go inside out. Uh, there's this interesting um, way or style of writing in the Old Testament. Uh, I know this is not a chiasm, but there's a chiasm in the Old Testament where the writer will begin with bookends, the top and the bottom verses will match, and then the middle ones match, and they go all the way into the center. Sometimes there's as many layers as two or three. So I want to use that style to pull out something out of this scripture, even though it's not a chiasm, I'm going to relate it that way. And I'm going to start with the center part of the scripture, and I'm going to work my way out. Normally that center part is the hinge, it's called the hinge, and that center part is the truth that the writer wants to get through. Here, the center part is the problem, and the problem is sin. That's what I see in the center part, the struggle with sin and how we deal with sin. So today, I hope by the time we are done today, that you will have an understanding, at least some kind of tools in your tool belt, so to speak, to be able to deal with sin in our lives how Jesus dealt with it, and how we walk through and what we can do to deal with sin in our lives. That's my main objective. Um, it's interesting because when Tyler texted me last night, uh, I was not at home, but I was actually sitting, I believe, in my truck. Um, and uh, this little animal was in the back of my truck, if you can put up the picture. Uh, I went hunting last night. I hope you're not grossed out by hunting pictures, uh, but this is what decided to come in last night, and I was able to shoot it with a crossbow last night uh, with my son uh, Trig with me and my daughter Emily. Um, and it's so interesting because uh, it's a long story, but I won't take the time. We got there. We ended up getting stuck. 
And I thought I'd blown hunting because we were all over the place. And we hunt out of this really, I mean, it's really rugged, no. We hunt out of a, actually a, a garage. And there's a corn pile that we put out. And the deer come to it. So we had put the corn out. And we finally got the truck unstuck. And about 4.30, we got in there. And a young buck came up and was sitting there for a while. And then he left and nothing until just about, um, you're allowed to shoot up till about 6 o'clock, 6.03 I think was exact time because it was 5.33 sunset, a half an hour later. And um, so about quarter till, all of a sudden these little does appear. And my son's like, okay, I'm gonna shoot one of those. And I said, great, and we're getting set up and I'm opening up the window and one of the does hear me and she can get spooked so we really slow down and the next thing we know, three young bucks come in, chase these does out, and nobody wants to shoot a young buck. And so we're sitting there just watching, wondering what to do, and then this guy comes wandering in, and I got a good shot on him and was able to harvest him last night. So why do you bring it up? Well, I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> just to show off a little bit, if that's okay. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I was really pumped afterwards. Um, but. The main reason is talking about sin, there's such a temptation for us in sin. It, it, it's such a part of kind of who we are in so many ways. And just because we come to Christ doesn't mean that that old sin nature just goes and runs away from us. It'd be really nice. And, and just sin's a little bit like a corn pile. You know, it's, it's really tempting to go into. And, and, and it's so interesting to watch the deer come up because they'll come up and they'll be looking around very cautiously and they'll stand for a long time and they'll come up and this one deer was smelling all the corn cobs that we had touched, knew there was something going on, looking around, but let down all cautions and began eating. And, and it is so interesting because I see that as a picture sometimes of us. And, and we, we like to go into that. It is even sometimes a need that we have that we try to meet. Just like this, they have a need for food. It's not a bad thing to go eat, right? But it got one of them killed. And sin is like that. Sometimes we think it's fairly harmless but eventually it will come and it will get us and it will take us down and drag us down. And so let's talk about this. What is sin? Sin is. So in this scripture we see two different definitions of sin. It's always really important to make sure that we define what we're talking about. So the first part of sin here that I see in verse 4 is it's the sin is breaking the law. Everyone who sins is lawlessness. We live under, or lived under the law and the condemnation of the law. This is the old law of the, test, uh, of the Old Testament. This is the old law. Uh, we boiled down to Ten Commandments, but there was a lot of law there. There was a lot of things that the Jewish people were following. Um, and sometimes I would even call it some of the natural laws that we know are true and right. But we live under that law. As soon as the law was brought, we lived under it. However, Jesus appears, and I love this word. If you look in this, the word appeared in this uh, verses that I read for you comes a number of times. It says, Jesus appeared to take that away, verse 5. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin 
our sins, and in Him is no sin. So when we live in Christ, Christ is in you, there is no sinning. Grace in Christ brings us to a point where we are sinless in Him. We are not under condemnation. So we have the two parallels here, or not parallels, uh, opposites here. If you sin, you're condemned, you live under the law. And this hand, on this hand, you are redeemed by Jesus Christ. You are new creation. You are a new person. You are not sinning. You're not sin anymore. And so we see this in the fact that Jesus changes, and we went through this in another sermon that I went, changes our identity. It is God's name that's on our birth certificate. We are born of God. And this is what this is talking about here. Jesus changes our identity. He is our new parent. However, there is a, also another sin defined in here than just law-breaking. And I see that in the next part of the chapter, in verse, uh, yeah, verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So we have this idea, okay, the first sinning is we break the law. The second sinning is that we kind of get off of the mark. We're not really doing, it's a disobedience sometimes, but it's not really a breakage of the law, but it's something that we should be doing and we're not doing, or it's something that we should not be doing and we are doing. It's a sin that may not be quote-unquote labeled in the law. For instance, last night, uh, when I went hunting, my father-in-law said the driveway, I didn't plow enough of the driveway so that you can turn around, so you may want to back in. Going down there, I remembered there's this flat spot up on top of the hill that I think I can just drive in and back out. I have a four-wheel drive, and I can do this. So I come flop it up there, and I told my kids what I'm doing, and I come up there, and I get to the crest of the hill, and I turn off to the side so I can back out and just do a nice little turnaround there. I get stuck. I have a four-wheel drive truck, I had some problems with it, um, and the mechanic that was working on it got sick, and so he never finished the job, and he never hooked my four-wheel drive back up. So I don't have a four-wheel drive. I just have a button that says four-wheel drive, but it's not four-wheel drive. And I had clicked it into four-wheel drive. I thought I was all ready to go, but I got stuck. It took us an hour to get unstuck. And poor Emily was scared, and, and it, was, it was not a good situation. But my 13-year-old learned to drive a truck last night a little bit. So <laughs> we had to do that while I pushed it out. But we eventually got out of it. And that's what I find so much of, generally, the sins I deal with are those things that I just kind of get off the mark, and they kind of just suck me into a point where it's a whole lot harder to get out of them. I, I took me literally five seconds to get stuck and an hour to get unstuck. And that's how sin comes sometimes. And it's basically what I see this sin is missing the mark in righteousness. We just miss the mark. It's not that we're still living under the law and all of a sudden we've lost our salvation and all that. 
When I was younger, I really misunderstood these verses because they really bothered me because it says you don't sin anymore. And in fact, when we are justified, it is as if we have not sinned, right? And I think that grace carries us through even when we sin, it's as if we did not sin on the area of the law and condemnation from the law. But when we sin, when we miss the mark, when we get off the path, we break relationship normally with God especially, but other people as well. Those kind of sins separate us relationally, maybe not salvationally. And he makes an effort here to say, keeps on sinning. In this, if you keep on sinning, if I would have kept on being stuck, or one of my temptations was once I got pretty far back, was I'm going to just gun it, and I'm just going to go through this field over here, and I'm going to come out on this over here. But thank the Lord I had a little bit more brains, because I know exactly what would have happened. I would have got over that crest of that hill, and I would have turned sideways, and I would have slid deeper in, and I would not have ever gotten out. But that's sometimes our thinking. We think, well, it's just a little sin. It's not much. I can deal with this. I can get out of this myself. I did get out of it myself. Well, I didn't get out of myself because I, I had the help of my, my uh, uh, son. But I was really tempted I might have to call my father-in-law. I didn't want to do that. It's an hour away. It was a four-wheel drive trip pickup. He would have gladly come rescue me, but I didn't want to. But sometimes, even in sin, when we get off like that, we need just a little boost and a little help to get out. If I would have went down in the valley and got really stuck, I don't even know if my father-in-law could have gotten me out. Maybe the tractor that's there could have. But anyways, that's kind of what I'm talking about with this sin of missing the mark. Uh, It eventually can lead to a loss of relationship with Christ, and I even think you can lose salvation through that. Uh, I'm not a once-saved, always-saved person, so I believe you can. But with adoption, it's really hard. So I used to read this, and as every time I sinned, I was out of the kingdom of God. But that's not how I read it today. I don't believe that. So what is this? What happens here? If you do right, you're righteous. If you don't and you sin, you're unrighteous. It's a lot to do with disobedience and obedience. Again, this comes down and says, but he appeared. Jesus appeared. And what did Jesus appear to do? First he appeared to take away our sin. And now he appears again to destroy, in verse 8, to destroy the devil's work. This is the devil's work of discouraging Christians especially, but dragging people down, and Jesus came to destroy that. So now, all right, verses 9 through 10 talk about us being born of God, doing right, we stop singing, we begin to obey the children of Satan, they sin, they disobey. These are based upon our righteous acts. Righteous acts include what we do, okay, out of love. That's what these are. And that's where the Bible can come back and say, if you don't do certain things, it's even sin. So when we're called to do certain righteous acts, we don't do them, it can be sin for us. It is sin for us. And he boils it down to the last verse here of that section in verse 10. He says, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love brother and sister does not love their brother and sister. 
So these righteous acts really are buried down, boiled down to how we show love to each other. So, how do we conquer sin? How do we conquer sin? So we have this law, and we're being born of God in this law because Jesus came to bring, uh, take our sin away. We've been reborn in God. So accepting God's love is one of the ways in which we overcome sin. The second one in the idea of righteousness is obeying God. Being a child of God means we come under the submission of God and we choose to obey God, which is, in these verses summed up, in loving our brothers and sisters. So let's look at those two things. My favorite verse and probably the whole Bible is verse 1 of this chapter. How great the Father... <clears throat> See what great love the Father has lavished on us. We should be called children of God. Once again, when we accept God's love for us, it is that Jesus laid down his life for us. We understand not only in death, but in life also. He lived a sacrificial life to show us how to live. God's love is lavished on us. It's more than we need. It's more than we deserve. God's love makes us a child, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Okay, we got that. We know that. The whole idea of lavished love. It's the extra frosting. It's the person who decides one layer of frosting ain't enough for their cake. It's the double-stuffed Oreos, or the triple-stuffed, I think, they have now. You know, if you like frosting, it's extra. It's more than you need. It's more than you deserve. It's more than I should have. But it's dreamed with God's love. And the reason he emphasized the lavishness of this love is so that you know it never runs out. There is nothing you can do to ever get away from God's love. It's too abundant. It's too great. It fills everything. You can't get away from God's love. And this is what takes care of the law. My, my encouragement here to you today is just to realize and to bathe in the love of God, to understand I don't think we understand, but even without understanding, just allowing the love of God to soak into us. Sometimes it's really hard for us to accept God's love. It's interesting, if you would get the song ready, um, uh, Trigg asked me last night what some of my favorite songs are. He's getting really into some music right now, and so he's asking me what some of my favorite songs. Do you have David Crowder Band ready? I had asked, asked um, Josh, if you don't, that's fine. I'll just move on. I'll just, I'll just tell him what I like about it. Is it ready? Okay, that's fine. Um, one of my favorite songs of all time is Oh, How He Loves Me by the David Crowder Band. came out probably eight, ten years ago. Um, and it, the first time I heard it, just... I was in one of those places that I needed to hear that message, and tears rolled down my eyes because it just goes over and over again. Oh, how he loves me. Your love is like a hurricane. I'm bending, against, I'm bending beneath the wind of your love. And, and it's just a beautiful picture. Uh, it's like an ocean. Your grace is like an ocean, and we are sinking into it. Not struggling, not fighting. We're 
sinking into the ocean. Um, I hope that you have a place in your life. I hope that you have a time in your life, a space in your life that you can go to and allow God to bathe you in his presence and his love. I don't know any other way to understand God's love than in that space for me. Because it's not a head comprehension. It's beyond who I am. It's beyond what I can understand. And when I'm able to go to that place and allow God to love me, there is something that comes out of me that leads me to the next section, and that is love itself. There is something that happens in me that changes and allows me to move into loving each other. And that is what brings us out of. One of the problems with sin is we concentrate on it. One of the biggest problems with sin is that it is something we want to stop doing. So I sit there and I say, I'm going to stop this. And what do I do? I spend time thinking about how I'm going to stop this. What I'm going to do to stop this sin. I've got to stop this sin. What do I end up doing is concentrating on that sin. That's not how we stop sin. That's actually the opposite. That's how we empower sin. The way we stop sinning is to look at Jesus and allow his love to come into us. And when we begin to focus on Jesus, it changes. Now, that will automatically make us focus on other people. Because when I feel the love of God, when I've accepted the love of God in my life, there's a change in me about other people. I see my wife differently. I see my coworkers differently. I see my children differently. I love differently because I've been able to absorb and accept the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what the next part is to me. That's how we overcome sin of righteous acts because we get busy doing righteous acts. We begin to lay down. The definition for love that is given in these verses is in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words and speeches and speech, but with action and in truth. This is another verse that has troubled me all my life. I've heard the statement, you love God only as much as you love the person you like the least. We can't say hate, obviously. But literally, when we hate somebody, it distracts from our love from God. It, it, it subtracts from it. I, I don't quite totally buy into that whole statement, but there's truth in it. When we spend time hating somebody, when we spend time revengefully thinking about somebody, it subtracts from our relationship with God. 
A matter of fact, it even uses Cain and Abel in the setting here to say Cain murdered his brother because basically jealousy. He did righteous acts and Cain did not. So we have this idea of when, again, we concentrate on the thing that is not what we should do, we lose focus and we do it. But on this end, when we are allowing the soaking of the love of God in our lives, the natural thing is to also lay down our lives for others. And we do this through pity or compassion. I love how the uh, old King James, what it says in this, and that's what I remembered it in. He who shuts up his bowels of compassion. Okay? Frankly, if your compassion is constipated, you got a problem. They believe the heart center, the, the center of the person was in the bowels. And when you held that in you instead of showing it out, said, how can the love of God dwell in you, the same word that is used for Jesus coming and dwelling among us. How can God dwell in you if you have bottled up your compassion? If you've given no place for it to flow out. It's like the Dead Sea. The reason it's dead is because it has no outlets. And we die. We fall when we don't give out the love. Part of accepting and receiving that love is going out. I loved what Tyler talked about last week. I thought he did an excellent job with his sermon last week. And just bringing in the fact that Jesus came to this earth while we were yet sinners. It says in Romans, I believe, while we were yet enemies of God. Jesus came while we were yet enemies of him to make us his friends. And even beyond that, to make us his family. That's love. And therefore, we are also called to those who are, quote-unquote, our enemies, who are outside of Christ, to show that love and to bring them in as family. Now, here's the problem. This verse touches on the fact of, what are we supposed to love? Not saying love the world, not loving those. It's saying loving your brothers and sisters. Those are the challenging parts, I think. Those are the times that it's hard sometimes to get past personalities you talked about. Sometimes it's simply just because that little chickadee, mm, I'm going to get him. Drive me crazy. Maybe it's the blue jay that comes in, you know? We have those personality differences. We have those belief differences. We have those things that can just drive us crazy. And again, if we concentrate on them, we will find ourselves walking down a path. We can be other-centered in a negative way where we become much more like them. Statement, I'll never be like my father. Just hang around 30 years. You'll be just like your dad, right? Because you're concentrating them. You're putting your mental energy into them. And when you do that, you become like them. Watch who you resent and hate because you most likely will become like them. Your mental energies are absorbed in them. Again, if we can again focus on who they are in Jesus, that's a different story. Then it comes out. And I really believe then we become busy in in our walk with Jesus Christ, that sin starts to fall away. 
When we love in actions, not by words, that's love is a verb, and love is an action. I'm reading the book, rereading the book by Stephen Covey, The Seven Effective Habits, no, The Seven Habits of an Effective Person. And uh, after one of his seminars, he had a gentleman walk up to him and said, I don't feel love for my wife anymore. My wife doesn't feel love for me. We have kids. We don't want to separate, but what do we do? And Stephen looked at him and said, love her. He's like, I don't think you heard me. I don't have any love feelings for my wife, and she doesn't love me anymore. What do I do? He said, love her. No, no, you don't get it. I I don't feel love for her. He said, love's not a feeling. The feeling of love is a benefit of loving. The feeling of love is the benefit of loving. Love her. Choose to love her. I can tell you, I remember the day that my marriage was tested to the point where I sat down in my heart, in my office, and I wrote out, I want to love Jeannie. It became a choice. I still had feelings for her, but I had to go deeper than feelings. I had to get beyond myself and how it made me feel. I had to go to the point where I said, I choose to. This is an act of my will. We are called to love some of the hardest people in the world at times. And the feeling of love will not be there. While we were yet enemies of God, he loved us. We had nothing to give God back in return. In some ways, we still don't. But he wants us. He wants to love us. He desires us. That's the awesome part. And he can do that with us as well with loving others walking with other people, being a fool. And I'll tell you, that moves us right into what is righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is being born of God, accepting his love. Verse uh, 29 of chapter 2 says very clearly that you know that he is righteous, know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been what? Born of him, God. The only way we can do right is if we're born of God. The clause here is in the end of the the, the verse. It's the cause. It's what actually happens. To do right, we must be born of God. That's an acceptance of God's love. That's how we begin. But doing right is also obeying in verse 7. Dear children, do you not let anyone lead you astray? The one who does what is right is Righteous. Sometimes we preach grace to the point where we remove the fact that doing right is righteousness. We are to have our own righteousness. Now it's based in Jesus Christ, and our justification is based upon his righteousness, but once that is taken care of, we are given a obedience. We walk in obedience for our own righteousness. That's what it says about Abraham. 
It was his obedience and faith that was accredited to him as righteousness. It's our righteousness, then, that walks out and does what is right. Now, again, we have to have Jesus. We have to have him. We can't do it on our own. Jesus appears to bring us both, to take away our sin, in verse 5, and to destroy the devil's work. He gets rid of the devil's work for us so that we can proceed in righteousness. And what does this do for us? It brings us confidence. If we're born of God, it gives us confidence. In verse 28, it says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him as in his coming, at his coming. Excuse me. It gives us confidence. It makes us unashamed. We do not have any condemnation. This is when we stand before him at the end of time, whether it's because of our own death or because of Christ's return, and we stand before him. We can stand with confidence because we know who he is, because we've been born in him. We have no condemnation. But there's also a part of doing right in obedience and loving others that also does what? In verse 19, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. This is how we get rid of a guilty conscience. This is how we are able to live. If our hearts condemn us or we feel convicted, if our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. In other words, he brings us forgiveness and grace, and he is the one who can wash us white as snow again, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, if we're living a guilt-free life, if we're able to live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we have confidence before God. And when is that? Right here, right now. Not when he appears. It is our righteous acts, it's living out in obedience that gives us the ability to approach his throne in confidence along with the grace he has given us. It's not by works that we enter in, it's by grace we enter in, but it's because of our works that we're able to enter in with confidence before him. Now, you can always go back to just asking God to forgive you and be there as well. I'm not saying this is the only way, but listen to the rest of this verse. And receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Okay, what is his commands? And this is his commandment to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Receive whatever we ask. That's a touchy verse, isn't it? I'm not going to sit here and claim I know what that means, but I want to say something, and I really felt this morning as I prepared for this sermon that this is a word that I want to give somebody here. Somebody's been praying a long time for something. It's been a desire on their heart for a long, long time. Here it says that God knows our hearts. And we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. God doesn't only know our desires, but he also knows our needs. And we're so quick to take these verses and to excuse them 
by saying, well, it has to be the will of the Father. And I understand that. That is true. But sometimes we just walk out of things we need to claim by faith because we don't have confidence before the Father. We don't have confidence that what we are asking of God is of God. And that comes when we're actively in service for others, that we have that kind of confidence to come before God, and I'm speaking from my own deficits in my life, that we come before God knowing. So what I want to say to you as individuals, an individual here who has been praying for years, God knows your hearts, God knows our needs, God knows the desires of our hearts, and when the desires of our hearts and the needs of our life intertwine, God will answer that prayer for you. When God understands that your need and your desire intertwine, there will be an answer in prayer. We do this by the Spirit of God. That's the last verse here. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. The Spirit that comes. The Spirit. What we're talking about, when I talk about obedience here, I'm not going back that you have to obey the Old Testament law. Okay? That's not the obedience I'm talking about. It's not law-based, even though we end up obeying the law. Because the law is the heart of God, and God made it, and it's good. What I'm talking about is what the Spirit is saying to you. The Spirit that lives in you. What is the Spirit telling you? What has the Spirit been prompting you to do? What has he been asking of you? Simply, have you accepted the fact the Spirit continues to tell you that God loves you? That's a daily thing for me. I said to this, my, my wife this morning, do I look like somebody God loves? Because sometimes I look in the mirror and I don't look like somebody God loves, you know? Of course, she smiled and said, yes. You look like somebody God loves. But I need that sometimes. Sometimes that's what the Spirit says to me. I look in the mirror in the morning and go, oh. The Spirit goes, God loves you. I need to hear that. Do you believe that? Do you soak that in? What else is the Spirit prompting you to do? What is he asking of you to do? Because when you do that in obedience, it's amazing what happens with our relationship with Jesus. I love when my kids obey me. Not because I get to be boss, but because there's a heart there that wants to please me, that wants to do it. Am I that way with God? Am I just looking for the rules and the way to get by? Okay, no. Or am I soft to the Spirit and willing to obey His call? Open up. Because if you are, you're not going to have any time for sin, my friends. This obedience will lead you to truth and in acting out our compassion with those around us. So if we're struggling with sin, don't concentrate on the corn pile. Don't sit there and go, boy, that corn pile looks really good. Stop sniffing the corn cobs. Walk away. 
simple, but hard. Concentrate on letting God love you and loving others with action, compassion, and truth, which to me is the Spirit of God. Because what he's asking you to do might be a whole lot different than what he's asking me to do. That's the spirit of truth. What he's asking you to do may look totally different because he wants you to reach a different person than he wants me to reach. Obedience. Loving others. Let's pray. God and Father, I just pray that you bless these words. I don't know where you want to plant seeds this morning. Um, That's not my job to worry about where you want to plant seeds. Um, Lord, there might be just a little bit of this sermon that was something that somebody could take and allow to actually become a part of their life, Lord God. Wherever we are, wherever we're at, Lord, with you, my, my prayer is that we be able to find that space and place where we can allow you to love us. Just accept your love. And secondly, that your love would work to open up our bowels of compassion. That we would find ourselves, surprisingly find ourselves, compassionate to those around us. Thanks, Father, for being with us this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Thanks for tuning in to the LifeBridge podcast. For more information about our church, please visit lifebridgedover.org. There you'll be able to find out more about the church community, our ministries, ways to get involved, recommended resources, and to give. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episodes directly into your podcast feed. While we are glad that you're checking out our podcast feed, we believe that the New Testament teaches that church worship is to be experienced weekly, in person, within your local church community. Thus, we encourage you to either join us in person for Sunday morning worship or to find and commit to a local gospel-centered church community in your neighborhood. Thanks.